we need to get together and let our voices be heard. This is Buffalo What's Next. I'm Jay Moran. I'm Bridget Jaipal Valenza. I'm Dave Debo. And I'm Thomas O'Neill White. After May 14th, how can we afford not to talk about race? About education, about segregation, about humanity. Since the dawn of this nation, racial violence has existed. The way we have designed our society has a big hand in what occurred in that Topps market. The suburban area everywhere, we must work and teach our children. We need to make sure that we put more funding in our programs that help prevent gun violence and more money into art. We're going to have some real healing. We've got to have space to tell some uncomfortable truths. And good morning. This is Dave Debo. On the program today, we're going to be talking about Weedy and the West Side Bazaar. We'll get into that in just a little bit. Coming up in the program later, Carolyn Welch will be here. She's the executive director of Weedy, and uh, she's going to talk a little bit about the bazaar. Some of the struggles, obviously, have been in the news. They recently had a fire. They are temporarily shut down as they were already beginning to start and rebuild a new location there. But I think talking about that gives us a real chance to talk about what this community looks like how this community uh, embraces people who might look or sound or act different from other countries. So we'll get into the refugee experience as this whole program unfolds. Um, I think one of uh, Dr. Martin Luther King's more famous quotes, the idea that injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. So today we're broadening the conversation just a little bit beyond Jefferson Avenue and Buffalo's east side. And to do that, we welcome in Akech Agawar. He was born in South Sudan. He fled his home in the midst of civil war, landing in Buffalo via Egypt, waiting in Egypt for three years before coming to the United States, and eventually ending up in Buffalo, where he is one of the most popular vendors at the West Side Bazaar, the owner and operator of Nile River Restaurant. Akech, thanks for being here. Thank you. You're, you're, nice to meet you. I'm glad you're here. Your, your story to me is fascinating. Um, take me through the journey. South Sudan is a, a relatively new country, and as soon as it was born, it, there, there was strife. There was civil war. Yes. And you fled that to Buffalo. T- tell me a little bit about that. Uh, thank you for letting me uh, be here, and also I thank the Weedy director, Caroline, uh, I see the way is the one that make me to see this building today. Mm. I was uh, not thinking that I, one day I will be here. So I will look around there and I will not be in. Right. But I thank Widi for that one. Make my life is easy now to be popular in Buffalo community. That's where I begin. My history from uh, living from Sudan to Egypt is, uh, is long. And it's interesting. I imagine so. We, yeah. we have a good 20 minutes from here, so the, let's get into it. Yeah, from <laughs> the beginning, I have one of my son and my wife. I sent them back home to South Sudan while I was in the city of Sudan, Khartoum. For one year, they've been there, and I decided in 1983, 88, to go back to South Sudan. I left Khartoum, and I... Get in the border of the South Sudan and the Khartoum. Okay. I detained for two, two, two months by security, saying that you will not go to South Sudan because if you go there, you're going to join the rebel. 
That time I was working with the. Did, let me ask about that. Did they detain you? How did they keep you from going there? They put me. I my brother was having house there in that border, and they told me to sitting there in my brother's house, report myself every morning eight o'clock. If I am missing, they don't know where I go. Should be a problem to my brother. Mm. So I did that for two months. I was in cheese to go back. And then my brother was convinced me to go back to Khartoum. So from the beginning, when I came back, I was working to, with the Canadian State Petroleum that drilling the oil in Sudan. All right. That the company I work for. And that was the reason they accused me if I go to South Sudan, I'm going to join the rebel because they were following me because I work with the white people. Mm. They told me that I take the information to give them to the white people, and then they take it to the movement. Now, eventually, business ended up being uh, kind of um, kicked out of South Sudan, right? Yes, yes. Okay. So I come back to Khartoum, and then the news were, were come to Khartoum that I was killed. Everybody know that I died. So my friend is a Canadian guy. When I come back, he gave me an idea that I moved Sudan. Okay. I left I left Sudan. He told me you have to leave this country. If your child and your wife have a time to come to the border, I will go to bring them. So then, your family at least was with you during this, correct? They are not with me. Oh wow. That's why I want to go to South Sudan. So I send a message back to send my wife and my son, which is the one working with me in the restaurant. Um they came in January 1999. And my friend gave me an idea to leave the Sudan because he told me they're going to kill you, by the way. <laughs> and then he helping me to make the process. You, 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 you said it in such a nonchalant way. Yeah. Oh, by the way, they're going to kill you. Yeah. That's a serious yeah, thing, yeah. obviously. Yeah. But she gave me the idea that to leave and he gave me the money also to make the process 300 US dollar he paid them and then I leave Sudan in July 18 to Egypt all right how did you get from one to the other uh, from so from uh, Khartoum I take train to the border of Egypt and Sudan mm. and then from there I take the the ship to Egypt as mm -hmm. one all right. Yeah, that uh, I left to Sudan. And, and that also was, uh, I was escaped. It's not that easy to leave because they have something saying, even my uh, date of birth is messed up because of this. Because I get the fake certificate to get out from the Sudan. They told me, if you are less than, uh, you are not, you are born in uh, 1967, you will not leave the country. So I went to get the fake uh, certificate to be 63. Mm. That's how I left. You, so, you, you faked the certificate? Yes. Okay. With that fake certificate because the doctor gave me the, that, the, that, that certificate and that's where they convened to leave me. What was it like in Egypt? Were you immediately in a refugee camp surrounded by others in the same plight? No. In Egypt, they don't have the refugee scheme because the president was really concerned for refugees from Sudan not to be killed because Egypt 
have the people that don't need the South Sudanese. They are radical Islamic. They don't want South Sudanese. In and Egypt? Then, yeah. Okay. And then the president said, no came. Everybody should live in their houses. So we rent the houses in, inside the, the community. That way they will not get everybody. And your family was where at the time? No, I come with them. Oh, they they were with you. Yeah, okay. I wait I wait for them until January in 1999, and then we leave in July. All right, and you ended up staying three years in Egypt while yep. you were yep. applying for refugee status refugees. in the states. Yep. First, I apply, they deny me, and then I make the appeal. They accept me for the appeal. Now, so many people, I think, when they talk about immigration, mm-hmm. uh, I don't think they understand the difference between just an immigrant and a refugee. During that three-year period, there was a lot of bureaucracy. There was a lot of vetting. Uh, It has been said that refugees are more screened and more vetted and more uh, permitted than really any other group of immigrants. That's correct. Talk to me about the process. Yeah, the process in Egypt, that time, they are easy. And even here in Buffalo, when I, I'm going to talk to about Buffalo, yeah, the Buffalo is welcoming uh, refugees or migrants in a very nice way. I was sponsored by the Catholic charity. Mm-hmm. And they resettled you here in Buffalo? Yes. Okay. They resettled me here in Buffalo. There in Egypt, we have what, what we so-called uh, um, lawyers. They come there and they make interview while the United Nations choose the place for you. You are not choosing the place. Right. The United Nations has you, if you have somebody in Buffalo, New York, give me the address. So I have one of my friends was here before me, I give the address. And that's why they sent me to certain me here in Buffalo. So when I come, I already got my house was prepared. And I, actually I come with two kids mm-hmm. after that. I have uh, lived in Broadway, Warren Street, down there. That time was not a good place. Mm. So I've I been there for two months, and then I moved to right there in uh, Carolina Street. Knew, you know, that okay. close down there. That I've been there for nine years in that place. It's, it's easy in Buffalo to treat the refugees or migrants in nice way. Tell me more about that. Um, What kind of things were done to embrace you? Um, In Buffalo, the help are are ready for everybody. Just say, like, for example, like Medicaid is ready for everybody to have it, which is different from other states, like the current chat about Arizona. I know Arizona. I have some people there. I know the news about it, even education. Is easy in Buffalo. For us, we come to, we come here with no language. That uh, that was going to be my next question. You spoke English at the time, correct? Yes. Okay. It's a little bit, but now it's more because when I come here, I went to college, ECC, mm-hmm. and I finished from there. Went to Buffalo State, and I didn't pay anything. The government paid even for me, but the other state you have to pay. 
That's why they call and talk about it. So you went to Buffalo State. You ended up getting a um, associate's degree in hospitality. No, bachelor. 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 Okay. Yes. But the associates in hospitality I got it from in ECC. ECC. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And that led you down the road to the current restaurant. Correct. What were you doing in the meantime? Uh, there had to be other jobs to support your family, right? Yeah, I was um, trying to walk around. The fe- my first job was uh, Niagara Chocolate. Okay. Down there in Union Road. Yeah, Union Road. Yeah. Yes. Right. That I worked there for eight months. And then I quit. I went to work in the U.S. Security. That time they called U.S. Security Associate. I worked for them. I started in Buffalo State. Okay. I mean in Buffalo News. Right. The Buffalo News, I started as security there. That time was $6.50. $6.50 for an hour mm. that I worked there. So I transferred from Buffalo News to... Damon College. I worked Damon College for nine nine years, and then I quit from there. Two thousand thirteen, going to car renter. That was budget car renter. Yep. That where I am still working there now. Okay. Until I get the restaurant. Until the restaurant's back up. Yeah. But in the meantime, you had this desire to share your food and share your culture and open the restaurant. Correct. How does that interface with Weedy? and the West Side Bazaar on Grand Street? Oh, going back to the Weedy, Weedy, I was not have an idea about Weedy, but being in Buffalo State, there's a small uh, group, uh, uh, business, a small business group. I went there with that I, am, I have a dream to make the restaurant. Mm-hmm. And they told me, this is a good dream, but the easy way to get this, go to the Weedy. They okay. will help you. And that's the Westminster Economic Development Initiative. We'll talk more about that yes. in the second part of the program where we bring Carolyn Welch, their executive director, in. Yes. What sort of training, what sort of mentoring did they offer? Of in uh, Westside Bazaar? Yeah. Oh, actually, it's not the training. They offer the place for you if you have experience to sell your food, uh, to show your culture to the world. So they will open for you, like myself, I was waiting for five years, wow. waiting list. And that I was set up when I, when I decided to move, I thought that I will not get it anymore. And the God worked on it, that's why the guy, the operator manager, Mike Moridi, called me. Hey, we have a space for you. If you are interested, you can come. How, so, how good is it to have your own restaurant? Yeah, it's really good. That's why I said from the beginning, that's why I'm here, because if I don't have a restaurant, I will not see your building, and you will not uh, interview me. You should not know me. Okay. You know me through the, 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 the restaurant. Yeah. Yes. That is the good of it. And I see my life, it changed. And I wish to all migrants to do the same. And I wish for with you also to read out for everybody to have his own business. You operate the Nile restaurant there with your son, Garan? Yes. Okay. Yes. Talk to me about the menu. Oh, our menu is really, really nice and it's large. Even I am thinking to make more than that. But because we have a new building, I keep some menu yeah. for next year that I will put them. And the, it's because of the place also is too small. I didn't make a lot of menu. Our menu is included everywhere. That's why I name it Nile River. Okay. 
The, the Nile River is feeding the 10 countries in Africa from east to north. It's from east to end in the north, that is Egypt. So, so in my menu, have Egyptian food, have Italians, have Kenya, have even East African as all. And I wish also if I grow the, all these 10 countries, they will enjoy me, and they make the food easily. Maybe some food I don't know yet from them. Yeah. They will increase it. And that is, that is come to my mind to do this, to name this like that, so it should be bigger. This is where we might want to mention, and again, we'll get into this more with Carolyn Welch uh, in just a moment or two. Uh, the West Side Bazaar has already have plans to expand to a new facility on Niagara Street. But in the interim, uh, about a week and a half ago now, there was a fire on Grant Street. I, I'll get to that. I want to find out a little bit more about that in a moment. But uh, I'm I'm intrigued. What can I say? I'm intrigued by food. What's your specialty? Oh, uh, special food? Oh, I have a lot. It's not only one. I have uh, Sakuma Wiki is the best one. What is and, that? And the reason is the best one. Everybody in East Africa, even the Subian, they make that chakuma wiki. What is it? It's a color green. Okay. It's color green. You can use it with the veep. You can use it as a vegetarian with the uh, uh, tomato and onion. That should be good eating with rice. Okay. And that is a popular in East Africa. Okay. Yes. I, I need to get back down there. <laughs> I, I, I have to tell you a story. I was on our news desk the day of the fire, and um, actually I first heard about it from a staffer. Someone called the station and said, I think the West Side Bazaar is on fire. And then um, it started to grow. Other staffers, um, this place, at least within our building, is really popular. And I think those who go there, and I noticed this again talking to our staff, those who go there have an intense loyalty, a connection to it, a feeling uh, for the place. You, as someone who operated a restaurant there, had to obviously feel the same way. Talk to me about the fire. Oh, the fire actually is miserable that uh, we were not expecting that to be happen. Mm -hmm. And it's really affected me, myself, because the time of income, and the time of losing the customer, because I was expecting for these three months, I make more customer interest, and I make more be, be popular to the people when I move to the near place. I should have enough money to bring the equipment, like I said before, yeah. to do everything what I want to do. And the people also, they still remember me. But now, I'm thinking that Westside Bazaar is gone. Customer, they will... Their attention will be out in Westside Bazaar, especially my restaurant, because it's one year. Not everybody know for one year, but because of the weedy is behind me, that's why everybody is not the Nile River right now. So it's really not good. I'm not feeling good with that uh, fire. I imagine but not. Yeah. it's accident that they call it accident. It's accident. Yeah. So there is no way we can do anything. But it's not really a good sign. I want to broaden the discussion a little bit, and this, this per serves as the perfect uh, overture to the discussion we'll have in just a little bit with Carolyn. Um, 
You have found Buffalo to be a really welcoming place, haven't you? Yes. Tell me more. Um, like I said from the beginning, when I come to the Buffalo airport, I was saying, is this really Buffalo? Because it looked something different to me because the way we look outside uh, New York mm-hmm. is not the way I see. I said, oh, my God, maybe I lost. That's what I say in my <laughs> mind. So, but the same way is the first time. That's why it looked like me like that. But now it's different. I'm not talking about that. But the cheat that we have been welcoming is really highly interested. This is a tough question, and forgive me. If, if you can't answer it or don't want to, I'll move on. Have you experienced racism? No. In Buffalo? Yeah. No. Maybe some places. That's where I said there's some places I went, and I didn't like them because some I see in my own eyes, and some of them I hear from the friend. But in Buffalo, no, I never see that. The one thing I remember is the... When we come in, we have a problem with the, the police community. And that point is two things. It's because we don't know language. It's because we don't know the rule of the road. Even myself, one time I was pulled out, and it was interesting, history too, because the police pulled me out in the city Waga, and that time I have a permit, it's not a license, and he say. Why you pass the light? I say, no, it's yellow, white, red, yellow, red. <laughs> and I said, okay, what do you need now? Give me license. I give him my license, and he looked at me. You drive here with permit? I said, yes. Who have this car? And that my car was a nice car. Mm. I said, it's mine. How long you have been here? I said, 10 months. 10 months? And you got this car? I said, yes. And then he went to the car. And he looked it up, he find that is mine. Mm. And he come back and he said, I will not give you a ticket for two things. You don't know the rule of the road? For 10 months, you will not understand. Second, 10 months to buy this car. There is so many people here for long years. They never have it like this car. That's why I leave you. But so they celebrated your industriousness and your entrepreneurship. Yes. Interesting. So, yeah. They leave me without a ticket, and people were surprised, saying, the police, Chidwaga police, leave you without no ticket? That is something. That is the first police, and I never pull out up to now. I remember that one. That was something was affected the migrant, the one point, because we don't know. Sometimes we act with police. But now, I see it's different. Do you think the immigrant community, and again, this is one of those questions, if, if it's too sensitive or too blunt, you, you can tell me to mm-hmm. to move on, and I will. Yeah. Do you think the immigrant community is treated maybe differently than African Americans who are already here? Um, not really, for my thought. Not all for all the people, but my thought, I didn't see that. Uh, there's one time it come in my mind that I treat uh, differently. I need the same go back to the police. I living in Carolina Street and I drive my car that I told you. And I pull out from my car and then I go, the police pull me over behind me 
and he has me whoever this car. Mm. And I was looking crazy. Why? He has me and I didn't do anything. And it came in my mind because this police is racist. It's because I drive NASCAR. He thought that I'm not a good person or I will sell the drug. That's why. I said, that is yours. I told police like that. It's your car. And he said, why you say like that? I said, why you ask me while you see me get out from the car? What do you think that is not my car? And my neighbor is a white lady. She said, that is correct. <laughs> that is correct. Why you ask him? And then the police said, oh, man, sorry, I'm not racist. I'm, and then he left. Mm. So that day, it feels for me, why he did that? But it's not anymore. It, I didn't feel like that way. But that, 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 that day, it was not, I was thinking, why did, I was thinking about it all over. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, that is the one thing I remember, but I didn't see that way I treat uh, differently. Uh, even some of American, African-American, they're thinking that the migrants are treated better than them. When we have, like I have that car, they thought that the government give me that car. Mm. But they didn't know that I'm working to get that car. So they're thinking that the people who come from Africa or from different places, they treat better than them. But no, I think people are treated equally, even there is some differences down there is not everybody, but it's not from Buffalo. I will say it's not from Buffalo. Community, Buffalo community are friendship. They don't have a racist. As we wind up our segment here with you, before we bring in Carolyn Welch, is there one message or one observation you want to share with the audience about uh, your experience or, or the nature of Buffalo? And it may well be what you just said, that you found this a very welcoming community. But beyond that, uh, elaborate if you can. Um, the, my message is that I want to say, Buffalo, don't change. Keep your friendship for everybody because we are human beings. There is no different white, black, yellow, green. They are human. We call ourselves human beings. And Buffalo is the one who knows this one very well. I want them to keep that fine to treat people equally like the way they did. And thank Akech Aguar, thanks so much for sharing your story today. Coming up next, we'll uh, continue the discussion with Carolyn Welch, the executive director of WEDI, Westminster Economic Development Initiative. They're the people behind the West Side Bazaar, both the new one coming and the one that is permanent, uh, temporarily uh, shut down because of the fire. Uh, they're the people that basically uh, operate the incubator space that gave Akech his chance. We appreciate uh, you sharing your story. Thank you. Stay with us. This is Buffalo What's Next on WBFO. Thank you. Do you absolutely love Masterpiece, Antiques Roadshow, PBS NewsHour, great performances, and other amazing shows on WNED-PBS? But you're not always in front of your TV when they're on. Don't miss them. You can stream the channel live wherever you are in western New York by visiting wned.org live or use the WNED-PBS app. Celebrate Hispanic Heritage Month with Buffalo, Toronto Public Media. For generations, Hispanic and Latinx Americans have enriched our society and culture. 
Join us as we honor their stories and contributions to our nation by spotlighting the diversity of voices and experiences within these communities. Visit WNED.org slash Hispanic Heritage to explore videos, music, arts, and resources for teachers and families. This is Buffalo What's Next, where we have conversations with the community about moving forward. To have your voice heard, press the Talk to Us button on the WBFO app, and we'll work to get your questions and comments on the air. Join us on Twitter at WBFO or email us at news at WBFO.org. Together, we'll have the conversations that are needed. This is WBFO, your NPR station. And this is Dave Debo. With me now is Carolyn Welch. She is the executive director of WEDI, the Westminster Economic Development Initiative. As the conversation goes on, we'll uh, share a little history and talk about uh, exactly what that is. She's worked at Weedy since 2017, was appointed executive director in 2019. And uh, I, I find this interesting, Carolyn. The, the, the best way, I think, to summarize uh, who Weedy is and what you do actually comes from your mission statement. Mm-hmm. I think in a lot of organizations, the mission statement is really just perhaps words on a wall that don't resonate as much. But uh, yours here is you work with new Americans to ensure that all residents of Western New York can succeed and thrive in a culturally inclusive community. Uh, a catch's story is certainly part of that. What does Weedy mean by a culturally inclusive community? So thank you for having me today. Glad um, to have you. Weedy works specifically in economic development and education. So our goal is to find ways and strategies to help people find equity within the Buffalo culture and help work towards a a community that's more inclusive and accepting of diversity within our city. And is that really, is that something you do one at a time with people like a catch or is there something broader going on? Um, There's quite a lot going on. So our education programs focus on students in first through senior year of high school that are all English language learners. So each of the children that we work with are either refugees or immigrants themselves or their parents are. And we assist them, you know, with homework assistance, getting through school, um, coming up with post-school plans. Like, what is your goal? What do you want your future to look like? And how can we get you there? So it's really important to us that we're, we're introducing them to, you know, people in the city that have had similar experiences. You know, if I have a student who says, I want to start a restaurant, it's important to me to be able to say, hey, a catch, can you come talk to that student uh-huh. and let them know that this is possible? I think it's really important that when you're working with people, you show them somebody that is coming from the same place and that has, you know, gone through the struggle and that there is hope. There is that beam of light that you can find a path for yourself. Is it more, though, than just the West Side Bazaar? Let's say I'm a student and I say, Carolyn, I don't want a restaurant. I'd rather have a hair salon. I don't know. Yep. So we are so much more than the West Side Bazaar. The West Side Bazaar is definitely our most forward-facing project, and I know we'll talk about it a little bit later in more in-depth. But our biggest program is actually that we are a CDFI. So we're a community development financial institution, and we're able to do small business lending for individuals from $500 all the way up to $20,000. And we're able to underwrite a little bit differently than banks. So, you know, when someone arrives to our country, they, they don't have credit. So we're able to work with them if they have a plan to start a business and give them a $500 loan that will help them build their credit. 
We also work with people that have been unbanked. You know, there's a significant population of the city of Buffalo that has been and continues to be unbanked for a variety of reasons. And our CDFI is able to work with them and help transition them to understand the banking system, make the banking system work for them, and then, you know, work with a a standard mainstream bank in order to move their project forward. So we have everything you can imagine from restaurants to we actually have a vet. Um, We have, you know, pretty much every service industry you can think of, hair, nails, beauty salons, retail stores. So we have a pretty wide variety. The genesis for this program, obviously, is the uh, situation with the top shooting on May 14th. Does that community bank template work in other places? If we're talking about some of the lack of investment on Buffalo's east side, could this work there? Absolutely. You know, I think there's a common misconception that we only work with immigrants or refugees, but Weedy works with anybody who has really been um, disallowed from the, the banking system. So as long as you are not eligible for a bank loan and you have a business concept or idea and you're within the Buffalo region, we're able to work with you and help you work on your credit, form your plan and move your business forward <laughs> um, with both technical assistance where we, we talk you through it and help teach you how to run a business, but also our lending program where we can then provide you the money to get your business started. How large is the community work with? How many refugees have we seen here? What's a What's the growth curve there? Well, we've seen a significant decline over the past couple of years as less refugees have been welcomed into our country. Um, we are hopeful that as and is, we... is that because of previous Washington policy? Yes. Okay. So now I know President Biden recently announced that there will be many more immigrants and refugees left let into our country over the course of the next year. So I'm sure we'll begin to see a lot more people um, within our services. Uh, we have worked with hundreds of people over the years. Weedy's been in existence since 2006. So we have touched many, many, many businesses. I have heard it said that the population of Buffalo would be shrinking were it not for refugees. That is absolutely true. And the That's only reason our population grew since, what is it, 1970 yeah. was because of the immigrants and refugees that are, are part of our community. And I would also argue that the reason we're seeing Buffalo kind of start to rise up is the immigrants and refugees who are part of our community and people like Akech and Zalalem and different businesses we work with who have come here and started a business and really started to contribute back to our economy. Talk more about the contribution, too, because if if your goal is to uh, promote culturally inclusive communities, a catch is doing more than just serving collard greens. He absolutely is. And, you know, what's really interesting is the Westside Bazaar at its core, at its heart, is a small business incubator. And it's meant to help people get their business started and then move out into the community. But I think what we've seen with the Westside Bazaar is it's become kind of a cultural hub for the city of Buffalo, you know, where people can come, they can try different foods, they can learn about different cultures in a very safe way. So I think it's really helped spread the message that, um, you know, we have a very diverse fabric in our community and they're people too. And they are contributing back into, you know, our community, into our economy, into Western New York. And that's really what's moving the dial. Talk to me about the history. Started out in a different location than the one on Grant Street, eventually looking at a new one on Niagara Street. Take me through that continuum. Okay, so the first West Side Bazaar was established in 2011 um, on Grant Street. It is now Global Villages, which is next door to Gershio's. Um, Louise, who owns Global Villages, was actually one of our first um, business owners in the West Side mm. Bazaar, and she's still in business today. And she's also a board member, which is really cool. Um, so the 
the space that Louise was in was open from 2011 to 2012. It was literally six card tables and a crock pot in the corner. And (laughs) (laughs) what's wild is nobody had done this before. We were the first small business nonprofit incubator in the country, not just in Western New York. So our founders were kind of like, well, we have this idea. Who knows what's going to happen? So instantly it was wildly popular and it was busting at the seams just between customers and clients that wanted to come in. So in 2012, we opened up the location on Grant Street. And it, again, it's the same story. You know, you talk to our Roughly found- Grant and Ferry, right? Grant and Ferry. Okay. Um, you talk to our founders and they talk a lot about how they were afraid to sign a long-term lease because they weren't really sure if the Westside Bazaar was going to take off or not. And... You know, they will tell you that the first day it opened, they knew they were going to need to expand again. So we moved there in 2012, and I think solidly everyone knew by 2013, okay, this is a concept that's really great. It's really working for our clients. It's working for the city. Now we have to even get bigger. So that is what's prompted us to um, work on our expansion project. Um, it's really a result of the the people in the community as well as our clients. Um, we have 120 businesses on our wait list right now. Mm. To get into the bazaar. And how many spaces did you have at the bazaar that burned? At the bazaar that burned, we were able to serve up to about 16 people. Mm. So in the new space, we'll be up to 24, um, which is going to be you know, quite, quite an expansion for us. Um, what I'm really excited about is when you look at our wait list, one of the businesses we have never been able to serve are really service industries. You go to the bazaar and it's 3,200 square feet, 25 Grant Street. It's very small. And it's got the restaurant and it's got the retail. And there is always, you know, lots of people mingling. So if somebody wants to do something like business services, like accounting, there isn't the privacy they need. Or if somebody wants to cut hair, I can't put them next to the sushi stand. That just doesn't work. (laughs) So, you know, we're really excited that in our new space, which is five times the size of the current West Side Bazaar, we're going to be able to really accommodate more of those businesses and see a lot more happening within the community. And the new location is going to be where? Our new location is over on Niagara Street. It's um, kind of between Tacoma and Lafayette on the river side, which I'm really excited about. We're also on the bike path side. So we really are going to be quite accessible to the community, um, whether your mode of transportation is walking, biking, taking the bus or driving your car. We're close to all of those things. Carolyn Welch is with us. She's the executive director of WEEDI, the Westminster Economic Development Initiative. Of course, they are the people behind the West Side Bazaar on Grand Street. I think we have to talk about the fire. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, t- tell me about that day. Um, it was about a week and a half ago. Yeah, it was about a week and a half ago. Um, I was actually out of town for work when it happened. I was in Arizona for a project that I was selected to work on. And my phone started ringing at 4 a.m. that the bazaar was on fire. And I think all of us were in very much a state of shock. You know, we've been working so hard towards the new bazaar, really raising awareness about the current space and just trying to get through this next year, like making this bazaar work until we're able to open the new space. So, you know, it was really a blow to us, um, trying to determine what the best path forward was. You know, the space at 25 Grant Street, we rent, we don't own that. So to be able to turn that around and move back in, does that really make sense financially mm-hmm. if there's expensive equipment that's broken or expensive upgrades that need to happen to the space? So we're we're really a little bit rudderless, but I have to tell you the support we have gotten from not only the Buffalo community, but from the entire United States has been overwhelming and beautiful. Elaborate. What, what kind of things have... Uh 
people brought forth. So in within our city, many people have come to us with different kitchens that are available, different retail spaces that are available, different offers of assistance and help, whether it's cleaning up the, the old bazaar at 25 Grant Street, helping people move, helping people restock their inventory, basically anything we might possibly need. I mean, it has been so overwhelming. It's taken more time to vet all of these options than we would have liked. Um, when I talk about the support from across the United States, we have received donations from Maine to California, from Galveston, Texas, all the way up to Toronto. And people will sometimes put comments on them. They're small donations. It's 5 10 15 $20. You know, you know people are digging really deep to support a cause they care about. And we had one one woman who donated from Washington, and her comment was, I was in Buffalo, I was at the bazaar once, and it's something that we need to keep going. Wow. So, you know, we're really feeling expats, visitors, really just surrounding us. In some ways, I imagine the timing, I don't want to call it a blessing because your building burned, uh, but in some ways the timing could have been worse. You are already looking ahead to a new building. You are already planning for a bigger space. It's not as if you suddenly lost your existing building and didn't necessarily know what's next. Yep, I think there is definitely a light of hope at the end of the tunnel. Um, I think no matter which way we look at it, it's definitely a tragedy. We have 11 small business owners who right now are receiving no income. Mm. That, you know, for many of our, especially our restaurant businesses, this is how people support their family. This is how a catch supports his family is through the West Side Bazaar. And there's not really a lot of financial emergency assistance out there for small business owners. You can't get unemployment. So we fortunately are working with Catholic Charities and we hope to, you know, be able to help everybody in that way. But as an organization, the best way we can help is get getting those businesses back up and running as quickly as possible. In large part, you've just answered my next question. Will you reopen the existing facility before the new one? Um, it's unlikely that we'll open the existing facility again, but we are looking at different spaces in the community. We hope to have a fairly big announcement early next week, but we have some opportunities where we have commercial kitchens where we may be able to put three or four of our restaurants um, and individual spaces for people who are really ready to graduate. We, you know, It's helping us right now, and it's been a blessing, I think, for them because we're getting so many more offers of support than we normally would to help someone get up and running. And that certainly helps your business people to have a place to earn their income. But I wonder if part of the attraction was the synergy. Hey, I, I can have a little bit of Ethiopian food, or I can go over there and have something from South Sudan. Um, if you're in disparate places, does that cut down on the flow, the, 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 the draw, as it were? Um, I think it's true a lot when you're bringing someone to the bazaar for the first time. That you're saying, okay, there's these seven different kinds of food. Let's yeah, try a yeah. little bite of everything. Okay. But I think after someone becomes a regular, they definitely have what they love and what they want to have. So I do think each of our businesses individually has their own great following, and they have a lot of support behind them. And we hope that the, this new model will work over the next year for everybody. You started with Weedy in 2017. You became executive director in 2019. Over that time, what have you learned about Buffalo? Are we as welcoming, perhaps, as a catch said, or are we as um, delinquent as some people on the east side would currently say? I think that Buffalo has a lot of hard work to do. I think we see places like the West Side Bazaar and we see what is possible. You know, when you walk into the West Side Bazaar for lunch, it's packed. And there's people from every background you can possibly think of. Business people, people from the community, the construction worker from the corner. 
And people are getting along in that environment. And they want to learn more about each other, which is part of the impetus for us to grow, is people want to learn more about these cultures. So I do think there's hope, but I think we really have to pull up our sleeves and have some very tough conversations. You know, it's it's fairly horrifying that we're the most segregated city in the Northeast. And to this day, that's still still the case. So, you know, I really hope to see progress and I hope to see change because I think that was a huge wake-up call for all of us. Other than creating spaces where there can be the kind of interaction that happens at the West Side Bazaar, how do we eliminate some of that segregation or how do we inject some of that understanding? I think we don't inject it. We ask people what they need from us. And I think that is, I've been in nonprofits a very, very long time. And that's something we're just coming to. We really need to recognize that if I want to help somebody, I need to say, hey, Dave, what do you need? What can I do for you? And what can I do for you? It's not us sitting in a boardroom. And I think until we're willing to have those tough conversations of, Dave, how did I fail you? How did our system fail you? And there are things that we probably are going to struggle to hear. But until we do that, I don't think we can move forward. There's no Band-Aid. But you have just described, I think, some structural change. That's not just interpersonal, uh, hey, how can I help you, Carolyn? The, the person asking that, how have I failed you question, has to be a person in power? It doesn't have to be a person in power, but I think it has to be a person that can bring that to the table so that we can start talking and making change. I don't think it needs to be people in power. I think it needs we need to empower groups of people to say, this is what I need for my community. This is how I can be more successful. My path is very different than your path, than a catch's path. And we have to have that recognition and knowledge that there is no riding in on a white horse and changing this. We have to do the hard work as a community and as a city. In this room, on this program, we've often talked about all the problems that face the east side. Uh, For example, I'll talk about health equity. And there are some uh, out there that have said, we just need more attention on the problem. We need to address it. There are a lot of others that have said, we need to work on individual problems. We need to work on um, diabetes. We need to work on food. We need to work on uh, all the component problems. And as I've had these discussions, it struck me that there's almost two different models. One is treat the disease. One is, and and this is not a great analogy, one is treat the symptoms. And there's a lot of people out there that say getting rid of those symptoms one by one will help the overall body heal. You sound like a symptom person, are you? I... I guess that's a tough question. I've never really thought about it. Um, I think to a certain degree I am a symptom person, but at the end of the day when we're working on these symptoms, we need to be working on the underlying structural causes. If I can help you, Dave, get to a job so that that's changing the course of your family, I guess you would consider that a symptom. But I'm helping you and you're moving your life forward. And I think you know we're we're moving this dial one person at a time. That is exactly the way uh, I'm looking at it. I I know that treating the symptoms alone does not treat the disease, but – I've also talked to someone, Diane Holt, from the Durham AME Church, says, there's a starfish on the beach. You throw it back in the water. Why did you do that? That's only one starfish. Well, because it matters to that one starfish, yep. she says. You're throwing individual starfish back in on a, on a daily basis. Yep, and I think that's what we have to keep doing because I think at the end of the day, if people don't have hope, what do they have? And you need to see hope and you need to see change so that you move yourself forward. And I hope that, you know, people come to a catch now as a mentor because of, of the accomplishments he's made. And I think that's what we need to do throughout our communities is help show success and it's possible.
And in large part, you've just answered this next question, but I, I, I do like to close with this one. I think it, it summarizes people's ideas. Uh, it summarizes their attitudes. Are you optimistic? I am optimistic. Um, you know, I, I love Buffalo. I've lived in Buffalo my entire life. I have never been tempted to move outside of Buffalo for any permanent type of time. And in those years, I have seen change and I have seen progress. Um, so I am optimistic Tell, uh, for our future. Let, let me interrupt you there. Tell me what, what progress you think you've seen. You know, I think a great example of it is Grant Street, to be honest. Um, you know, I went to Duval College. I graduated a while ago. Um, but, <laughs> you know, when I went to Duval, you didn't walk around the Lower West Side. You didn't walk on Grant Street. You know, it was very much inclusive yeah. and you stayed within that community. Whereas now there's restaurants, there's shops, there's nightlife on Grant Street. Yeah. There is a gypsy parlor. I don't think anyone ever anticipated that. So, you know, that dial has started to move. There's five points. There's things to do in our city that we didn't previously have. And there's things that we're promoting that we're proud of. Like one of the best parts about my job is picking up a blog for what to do in Buffalo and seeing the West Side Bazaar and our restaurants and some of our businesses that are in the community be highlighted in that. Like, as a city, we're saying, hey, come check out the diversity. And I think that's huge and beautiful. As we close ever so briefly, how do people get in touch? Um, people can get in touch. Take a look at our website, www.weedybuffalo.org. Um, within the website, you can find volunteer opportunities, donation opportunities, um, just many more ways to get involved, hear about our businesses, and learn more about our story. All right, Carolyn, thanks very much for being here. Carolyn Welch with Weedy, also earlier in the program, a catch Aguar of the Nile Restaurant in the Grant Street uh, Westside Bazaar. This is Buffalo What's Next. Thanks for being with us.